Welcome to the Level Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And Andre. Boundaries are unique to every couple. I 100% agree with that. How to break through with your spouse, your partner. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. How did you handle this? The man's kind of got it good. I feel like you're getting off on a little bit of soapbox. This is me rolling my eyes. This is really great. I really... Rolling. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Lover Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. So fun to be on this with you today. Yes, let's do this. Lover Work is a project that the two of us are leading over the next two years. We're hoping to interview over 100, do 100 interviews around this topic. Is it possible to, for both of us to be living out our purpose in life, to stay in love, and to raise a family? Yes, and today we are interviewing uh, some great friends of ours, Kitty and Bill Murray. Um, Bill is a life coach, and uh, Kitty is the founder of, uh, of Refuge Coffee. It is a coffee shop that brings jobs and awareness to the refugee community in Clarkston. And uh, they are both older and, I think, wise, and I think we're going to hear so much great insight from them. Yeah, they've been married for 40 years. And as you listen to this, if you connect with something, please share it through social media and you can follow us, the Love Work podcast and the whole project at Love Work on Instagram, or you can find us on our website, loverwork.com. Please share that with others. Please share the, I mean, this interview you're going to want to share with someone. It's so good. So as you are preparing to learn all the wisdom from Kitty and Bill, I have three things that I want you to be looking for. The first one is an amazing story, an amazing story. Of Kitty throwing a frozen turkey. I love this. Across the garage. <laughs> She's going to be like, why did you bring this one up? <laughs> it's awesome. The second thing uh, is another fun story. Uh, when, uh, <laughs> I can't even get this out. They came home and their oldest son was babysitting the other boys in their family. They have four boys. And he, they they found one of the kids handcuffed to the table that was the only way they kept him in the house yes can you imagine one of our kids being handcuffed by the other one you do what you got to do and the last part i want you to i mean this is a real um third perspective as you as you enter this um bill is an introvert and kitty is an extrovert Mm -hmm. and i think it's really good to enter this conversation because there's a lot of couples that wrestle with that perspective in communication as a family Yeah, and just being so different. They're so different. Yeah, but they've made it 40 years. So here it is, Bill and Kitty Murray. Hey. We're so thankful you guys are here. We'll jump right into it. How many years have you been married? 40 this July. 40 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, And tell us about where it all began. How did it start? I was in college. He was a senior. I was a junior um, and different colleges. So he would call me. And then one day I found out later he schemed. I had been telling him about a book I was reading. We were kind of nerdy. And he said, I'm going to get the book over Christmas and why don't I and read it. Why don't I call you when we get back? It was Francis Schaeffer's True Spirituality. And I'd been telling him about it. So he bought the book. He read it cover to cover. I still have never finished the book. Um, <laughs> Does that tell you a little about your personality? Yes, yes. But I did call her back. He did. So he called me in January when I got back home, back to school, 
And then we went on our first date in February, and he kissed me, and we were like in, on our first date, which was kind of a no-no in our world at the time. And I like look at it. you, rebels. I know, and but we also like prayed together, but it was very real and genuine, not like this following a rule book thing. And then three months later, he asked me to marry him. Wow! And we got married a year later. So yeah, it was like a it was fast. Yeah, the dating good. was just kind of just trying to get to the engagement part. <laughs> now to get yeah. like really serious because right at the beginning there was you had cancer is that is there how how did that all play out at, at christmas time almost i went to the doctor and the doctor had uh, did surgery uh, on a lymph node that i had that was in my neck that was swollen and so uh, over that week it was over christmas break I, I drove up to nashville where kitty was and um i had i pulled out an encyclopedia and looked up lymphoma and the only one that it could be was Hodgkin's. And at that point, it it was a very bleak, dismal uh, prognosis. I mean, basically, it was just listing funeral directors on the last page. So you have six months to live, maybe a year, that kind of thing. In the encyclopedia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so... <laughs> a real book. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So I went back to Atlanta and just started dealing with the whole thing. that I have cancer, and this my whole future just blinked out of existence, you know, because that was the only symptoms I had it could be was Hodgkin's. And... Finally went back to the doctor after the lab work. This is a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, we went back, yeah. And, and the doctor said, well, we've confirmed that it is lymphoma. In fact, it's, it's Hodgkin's. And he said, but if I were going to have a cancer, this is what I want to have. And I looked at him and said, well, that's not what I read. And he goes, well, what did you read? And I told him the encyclopedia. And he goes, how old was the encyclopedia? <laughs> You know, back then, people had encyclopedia sets. And for you might for decades, right? That's like, right? Yeah. yeah, so it was like a 15-year-old set of encyclopedias. And he said, you know, in the last two or three years, they've had in- incredible breakthroughs on this. He said, these tumors are going to melt like butter on a hot knife. But um, what, was, uh, what was good about that whole thing, though, is that we went through that whole process of uh, went through radiation treatments. We went through that whole spring with me being in the hospital and having treatments. And we began our marriage with... Li- aware that we're not guaranteed another day. Hmm. Um, and so we don't need to presume that, well, we can work things out tomorrow. You know, we just went into our marriage knowing that every day is actually a gift, so let's, let's treat it as such. I think the harder part of it was that he went through treatment and he was sick every day for 10 weeks, like every day, throwing up every day. He was, we both went to our, our emotional unhealthy places so I was super clingy, needy. I need reassurance from you every minute. He was super detached and shut down, which we would have gotten to that place in our marriage eventually where we experienced the worst in each other, but we just did it really early. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so we had to work through things that I think most couples don't work through right away. Right. And we saw each- So the good thing about that is there's like we learn to show grace to each other in pretty intense ways, right? And and yes, and find that um, we had to take it on faith. She had to take it on faith that I had any love for her because there was nothing, at least on an emotional level, that I was giving at that point. You know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you were just in yeah. in the thick of it yeah. so yeah. nothing I was really I was literally yeah. burned out right you know, nothing <laughs> radiation well, and nothing we were, left to yeah. give and yeah. you had to trust that in a sense right yeah. and I didn't like I didn't do a good job of that you know yeah. and and I had been a leader on my campus I had all these 
girls that I was leading and I like bailed on all of them because emotionally I just didn't have it. And so I was super needy and empty and all of that stuff. And that's just hard for a, right before you're getting married and all the highs of that, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to think through your needs in the midst of the sickness and health conversation. You know, like you guys have been through multiple scenarios of this. Um, what have you learned through that? Right. Like every 15 years, yeah. you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so tell us about that. The 15-year yeah. cycle is that when I was seven, I nearly burned to death. Then when I'm 22, I have cancer. Then when I'm 38, I have a heart attack. So, And then when I'm 50-something, I had stents and bypass surgery. So it seems like cyclically there's yeah. – I'm not sure what happens yeah. when I'm 70. You know, so that's yeah. where we're waiting. We've got a little time for that. Um, I always tell him if he almost dies again, I'll kill him. Like, <laughs> it's a threat. Of that, yeah. Let's just finish but, this now. Yeah, come on. You just can't do this anymore. I think – I'm thinking of a story that I think we should tell about the hotel. Downtown hotel. Oh, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. You guys are looking at each other like, can I tell this? <laughs> this is like a really vulnerable story. So we were we you know, just let just to set the scene, Bill had recovered from cancer and treatment that was really tough. Um, you know, he'd lost twenty-five pounds, he was, you know, just and and he even realizes now that how kind of frail he was. And but he's a twenty-three-year-old college athlete, you know? And so he's dealing, I remember him telling me one day, I've lost my vertical leap. He went out to play basketball and I was like, you're alive. Why does that matter? (laughs) And now I get it. Having raised four sons, I get that that's so much a part of your identity. But at the time that sounded silly to me, but so we'd been married a year and well, back up. So the, so we'd been through all that. We move 800 miles away from home. We live in, we called it affectionately, our migrant farmer shack in seminary. <laughs> so we have no money. We move away. We're away from everybody we know. and we're. But we are so unaware. Like we felt like this is bliss. We love it. But there were so many undercurrents. So one of the things we dealt with head on, and I think it was because of the trauma of the cancer, is that... Bill is, um, he's an introvert, he's quiet, and he's also um, didn't grow up in an affectionate family. Like, mm-hmm. not only was it not affectionate, it was kind of like against the rules, you know? Affection-averse. Yeah, affection-averse family. And I grew up in a crazy, everybody, extrovert, and also very affectionate family. And so, and that's my temperament. But what I was doing was reaching for Bill, like physically reaching for him. And we're not talking about sex. We're talking about affection and intimacy on that level. And I would reach for him and it's human nature, you know, to turn away when someone's Mm. too needy, right? It's just human nature. But so some friends of ours had overheard us saying that we needed some time away because we needed to make some big decisions. And um, so they come to our apartment. We're all poor student, you know, grad students. They come to our apartment and they bring us a key in a box and like 10 bucks to go out for dinner. 10 bucks. Even back then, that wasn't enough to really do much. So the thought was super generous. Well, it turns out the key to the hotel was for the sleaziest hotel in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. So I, there's another difference. I think the differences in marriage, 
it's first like shock and awe when you learn that this other person is nothing like you. And then there's that progression of learning to accept it. And now we really celebrate those differences. But at the time, we had no clue. And so I shift gears immediately. Like I pack something. I pack some candles. I pack blah, blah, She's all in. Stuff. You're in. I am all in in a moment. Bill. And, and I am, this is on a Friday, and I come home with books because I have a big exam on Monday. Right? Oh, boy. And I, and I change gears <laughs> I can just slowly. see how yeah. this is happening. Yeah, yeah. And Bill's like a, we always say, conditioning prior to change. You know, he needs that. And I'm like, oh, I can change gears on a dime. <laughs> so we get, we go to eat. Bill's a little distracted, but he's fine. We go up to the hotel room, and in the elevator, I notice that he has his books. Like, I hadn't even noticed. Oh, boy. Briefcase. Briefcase, yeah, with his books. And it was it was probably the worst argument we've ever had. It was terrible. And we're in this hotel room that was really sleazy. And and we it was horrible. And I it was probably one of the few nights, I can probably count maybe one or two others where we went to bed angry. I like cried myself to sleep. Thank goodness there were two beds in that room. Like we were like, I'm we, we were so, and we were exhausted, and we had to get up the next day to do something. I don't remember what. And, and um, I went to bed. I remember praying and saying, God, I'm not going to leave him. I made a vow. I will not leave him. So I am stuck with a man who will never be able to meet any of my needs. Like, doesn't that sound oh, like so dramatic, so terrible? And he's like, what just happened? <laughs> I just so, have a test tomorrow. I know, I know. Why can't she leave me alone? And so we came up. I'm pretty sure it was Bill's idea, not mine, but I totally agree with it. The next morning, he was like, I have an idea. He goes, I want to be affectionate towards you, but it's like the thing you do well and I don't know how to do. Like wow. it's, and so will you fast from showing me affection? For like a, I think we decided on two months, two months. And he goes, and that way, any affection that we have in our marriage, and again, not talking about sex, just talking about holding hands, patting each other, mm-hmm. saying. Deeper intimacy. Yeah, yeah. He goes, it'll all be on me. Will you trust me? And let's do that. And it was it was amazing. And he didn't become like me, and I didn't become like him, and we're still different in that way. Um, he'll say to me sometimes, I'm jumping up and down on the inside. Like, he, you know, he'll tell me his emotion in this more objective way. But I learned to let, like, to show him grace and to let him be him. Like, it yeah. just took something kind of dramatic for me to go, oh, he's not me. He needs to be him. But the, but the other part of that, too, was it's not that I didn't have any, any impulse for that. She would always beat me to the punch. I mean, for every one time I'm feeling, oh, I'm going to demonstrate some sort of affection, no matter how small. She's already she's on a schedule of five or six times doing that. So she, it was a big leap of faith for her that I even had it in me. But she was always beating me to that. So we just realized, okay, let's see, let's see what this will look like if it's just me. I have a follow to this. So obviously, there's the intimacy side, but there's also the introverted versus extroverted side, right? right? So in marriage, there's all these tensions in communication. I'm curious, what if someone was listening right now, what advice would you give if one of the person, you know, and they're in a similar scenario as you. One person is very introverted, one's 
extroverted. What have you learned about communication related to that? One of the things that I've learned that I needed to do is many times Kitty would say something. I mean, it just might be a normal discussion or it might be an argument. And I would immediately begin processing that inwardly, but I never, I never gave her any indication. That she you were even she, thinking about no, it. No, she, she just thought I was withdrawing. And and she said, you need to complete the loop. Just let me know you heard me, you know. And I realized completing the loop of communication can be, oh, I heard you. I need to think about that. Or I heard you. That's a good point. But it's going to take me some, some time to process that. That's all she needed. But, but what she didn't need is to think I was just totally ignoring her. So from an introvert standpoint, take that step of, of acknowledging something has been said and then letting the other person know, okay, and, and I need a little time to think about it. Mm, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I, I think it kind of comes down to celebrating that difference in your partner. Like mm. When I met Kitty, and for the very moment I met her, I was smitten with her. And now we realize that we're smitten about the differences, not about the things that are the same. Yeah. And yeah. so when those differences start creating tension in your relationship, which, which they will— to step back and say, wait, no, th- this is what I love about her, so I need to find a way to celebrate that, not criticize it, and not try to shut it down. Yeah. But, but that's a conscious decision, but it's, it's harking back to, oh, but originally this is what drew me to her, and I want her to be more her, not less her. Right, yeah. I'm curious, um, you've been married for 40 years, and we've been talking with some people recently about you know, we were married 22, you said you were 20, 21 and 20, 23, 21 and yeah. 23 when you're yeah. married. And so do you feel like the person you're married to now has, is different than the person you married then? Or has there been like seasons of, of change in each other's lives? What, how does that look over a long period of time? You know, what's really fun for us recently is we've, we talk about our childhoods a little bit with new eyes now. And so I don't, I think different and the same, like the same basic, the same basic Bill Murray is the guy I live with and love, but he has become something deeper, better richer to me to not just to me I, I just see he's become that so I think it's a both and you know I, I I'm not sure we somebody gave us a book when we were dating in that short little three months that said you know if you if you marry someone who's like you that's that's um narcissistic and you know you're got, you need to marry somebody different and we're like but we're just the same because we connected on the big idealistic, big life value, yeah, level. And so we thought we were the same. And we die laughing now because we're like, there's there's very little that we're alike in. Yeah. Yeah. I I think for us, the difference is, I mean, I I would agree with that. I think it's just a more mature version of who we were when we met. But mature, hopefully, in the best ways. Yeah. Uh, But that's why... that's how I look at that. Yeah. I almost feel like part of healing each other, because I think you do, you, good marriages, you heal each other. And part of healing each other is that the things that I felt shamed for as a kid or that I felt um, criticized, Bill doesn't do that. 
Like he, he, he showed me not only grace, but like total acceptance. We've never heard that before. Good marriages heal each other. What does that mean to you? So, you know, you grow up thinking you're supposed to be something, right? Like no matter what, even in healthy families, there's this kind of, I am not who I'm supposed to be, you know, and, and kids aren't, right? Like there's a lot about your kids that you're trying to teach them and encourage them to be, but it gets translated as a law or it's condemnation sometimes. And so I think, I don't think good marriages heal each other, marriages heal each other unless there's this celebrating of who the other person is. But, um, you know, here's another little phrase that has meant a lot to me recently that you know, my job as a human being is to be to people who God is to me. Like, so, so part of that, so that healing so goes that back to, yeah, that's part of it. I just want to be to build what God's been to me and he's been forgiving and loving and he celebrates and all those things. Um, yeah. I, I think I, I was thinking that I've been reading lately about how as children, we just kind of, as infants, we're just, just out there, and, but uh, over time, we start learning defense mechanisms, things, ways to hide and ways to project and posture and that thing as we grow older. And in marriage, um, marriage for us has been a journey into vulnerability where whether we want to or not, something ugly about ourselves is exposed. And how we deal with each other in those moments, whether we bring God's grace into it or whether we bring condemnation into it, probably if we bring grace into it, there's a healing process. Mm-hmm. And when we don't, then it stifles that healing and maybe even wounds even more. So I think that's how marriages can be a healing place is where as we become more vulnerable, um, I feel if I start feeling her withdrawing from me, if I feel her rejection, and then I go back into hiding. But when, when I feel her acceptance, then you can flourish in, in an environment of acceptance. And I think, right. I think grace is what, what propels us into that. I want to transition a little bit. You have four boys Right? Right. Four boys. They're all married. No. Three. No, three, three are married. The I'm three sorry. oldest are married. Three the oldest fourth is a prize waiting for someone to <laughs> catch. I love the prize. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah. if you were sitting down with any of any of the families that listen to this and you were to say any advice you've ha- you'd have for parenting, what would be the top things you would tell them? That very was, open-ended. That was very big, very yeah. big and broad. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one kind of game changer for me, maybe for us, is I had a friend said, well, you know, I was telling him what, what we're dealing with at home. We have four boys, and uh, it was uproarious. Maybe. Very, very yeah. strong-willed boys. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah. he said, well, part of the problem is you're trying to, you're trying to parent with power rather than authority. When you're parenting with power, you're just, you're just literally overpowering their defiance. Said authority is you, you recognize you have some control over the consequences. You can go back and then reflect with that, that son, in our case, about that issue and what consequences are going to be. And that was a game changer for me. And that was, we, we learned that with our oldest, who was, I call him a proud prodigal. I do want to say there is nothing, <clears throat> no job on earth that is... There are 24-7 always opportunities to fail. Like, and it's just a hard job. And we always say to people, um, 
give your children grace because you want them to give you grace when they figure out what a bad job you did. <laughs> when they're yeah. in their uh, counseling. Yeah, bed. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and and I, there's actually, that, that's not to be discouraging. There's actually, for me, a lot of freedom in that. I think, you know, Bill was a pastor for 30 of our 40 years, and there was that pressure to have kind of the perfect family. And it was subtle, but it was it was there more than we realized. I wish I had been brave enough to defy that earlier, you know, and more systemically in our home. But early on, it was just like, you know. And so much of our energy goes into our kids, you know, and their schedules and driving and going to games and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's all, it's all about giving to them. So dating looks different at different seasons. I mean, I remember when Matt was old enough to babysit during, for lunchtime. <laughs> And we would like be able to go out to lunch without paying for a babysitter, and it was he would, huge. Yeah, he would watch all the boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we came home from one such lunch, and we had said, Matt, Matt, you know, nobody, don't let anybody leave the house. Everybody needs to stay in the house. While you're here, yeah. We came home, and so he's probably I'm not sure what age it was, but we came home, and David, who had wanted to leave the house, was now handcuffed to a dining room chair. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Well, well, that's the know. one way to keep everybody in. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. This is really great. And another thing Bill used to say is, you know, Kitty, our boys need to experience reasonable amounts of pain. And I used to hate that. But I think kind of letting go and letting life teach them was an like, it's a dance. Of course, you don't do that when they're two. And you don't even do that when they're 15 all the time. But it it's a progression of, you know, you're not accountable to me anymore, you know, and you've got to learn how to not be accountable to us. So big because I think, I mean, I, I, it's just the constant conversation with parents is just like, well, is it safe? You know, are they going to be safe? Is this safe? Like, I feel like that's all I ever hear. I mean, we were just talking about how we're going to another country with our kids. We do this nonstop. This is not a big deal to us. And literally the first question was, well, is it safe there? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't even check. I have no clue. But like that is such a big deal. So how do you move out of like safety being the number one concern as a parent to the real world, the real, yeah, releasing of that? I mean, uh, we're not sure, but <laughs> I, I, I love it. But now I will, I will say that there was a time, especially with Matt, our oldest, because he was pushing all the boundaries. Uh, there, there was a time when we quit praying the protection prayers, you know, which is like never, not ever. Do we no, like all the way He's like, no, no, wait a minute. Well, we prayed other we things. Wanted more a lot than just more. We wanted more than safety. Yeah. Don't you want more than safety for, for your, your kids? kids that yeah. was our question. Is that all we want? Yeah. But the whole safety thing, I don't know. You, I, fear but, is a terrible way to parent. That's I do think that. You alluded to a season that was challenging with one of your boys. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I think there's people yeah. that I mean it's like yeah. we're all gonna have challenges at yeah. certain seasons with our kids that are more challenging than others. How did you guys process that? Um but they were saying, whatever else you do, make sure you maintain a relationship with him through, through all the issues. And the hard part is, how, how do you keep your heart open to somebody who is constantly disappointing and hurting and defying you? Mm-hmm. But I think that's the challenge. If it's, it's, it's one thing I remember telling one once, I said, you know, 
Matt, my, my heart is open, but my wallet is closed. <laughs> of course, this is when he's a little bit older. Um, but keeping your heart open is the challenge. Now, what behaviors, what you choose to do in terms of actions or punishment or not punishment, th- those are tactical things. But keeping the heart open and the relationship open was a big challenge for us. I would also say I have never been more sad. It was a sad season for me. Mm. Um, and processing that disappointment and that just sadness um, in a healthy way was important because I, what I see, what we see parents do in seasons like that is, one, they batten down the hatches and they bring in more control and more, like, and they and they try to fix it themselves, like they're fixers, and, or or they wash their hands and turn away because it's too hard. And neither of those approaches are healthy. I remember like just feeling like God was healing my heart through like a bunch of fifth graders that I went on a field trip with, and I didn't want to go because I was too sad. And I, but I went, and then or just laughing. I um, wrote a book about this, and one day our second son David just did this knuckleheaded thing. He got arrested, like he was fifteen. <laughs> It was a silly thing. He was with a neighbor, did something dumb. But I came home, and a good friend of ours was dying, and I'd been to see her. And I was like, here, my friend is dying, and you're, like, doing this. And, you know, so I just walked out to our garage. It was near Thanksgiving time, I guess, because there was a turkey in the freezer outside. And I I picked up the turkey. At first, I was throwing shoes. Like, I was in our garage by myself. I was just throwing (laughs) shoes. And then I picked up the turkey, and I threw this frozen turkey across the garage. Like, I was crying and thinking no one could was there. And our oldest, Matt, was standing there in the doorway. Watching And he goes, Mom, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. And he goes, no, you're not fine. You just threw a turkey, you know. <laughs> Across but the anyway, garage. Like, <laughs> like, you just have to laugh at yourself, you know, like learn to laugh at yourself. So, um, yeah. So I'm sure that that goes down like every Thanksgiving, right? Like, <laughs> remember, <laughs> don't the, make remember mom the throw that turkey. turkey. <laughs> now, don't do it. Hey, so now, Kitty, you're the mother-in-law. You are, so talk about that. Your boys go from being my boys Mm -hmm. to dads, to husbands, to, and you, you have these new people in your family. Talk about that. We don't get a chance to to hear this perspective. They are phenomenal. I love each of them and they're each perfect for our sons. They chose really well. Kind of like we did, like without, like one of them, well, two were high school relationships. So it's kind of, that's kind of crazy, but. Um, I think the one thing we've done right as in-laws is, you know, the finish of the letting go. Like, and I think it's good. Boys, for whatever reason, are easier to let go when they're younger. You know what I mean? I think girls, you just have this protection and girls tend to want to please more. And so it's easier to like being like exert too much control over like a teenage girl because she'll just do things that boys are a little more, at least ours, we're way more independent. And so when they got married, you know, we went to all the kids and we went, you know what, we're here if you want to come, but there's no pressure, no tradition, no thing at our house that you have to do. And we just need to say that to you. So you guys talk amongst yourself and figure it out, but... We just want you to know we're all in for when you're here, but we no pressure. 
life is too short. And I think what that's done is that's come back to us with a lot of, well, we want to be with you because mm-hmm. we want to be with you because you don't make us feel like we have to be with you. You know what I mean? Um, but I want to add that Kitty has loved them well and they love her well. And, and partially they have also meeting a need that she's had in her life. Cause she, you know, she had a household of five males and, um, and so she had to watch the war flicks and all that kind of stuff. And she didn't have anybody really to get soulmate stuff with. And these girls have just been awesome yeah. at that. I mean, they, they have text streams going on sometimes that are so funny and so long. But they just all enjoy each other, which is cool. And then they really enjoy her. She's kind of set a tone for that, too. But they also... So Callie and David, who you know well, were our mm-hmm. first... They were the first marriage. And um, Callie said... I remember David graduated from boot camp, and so I called Callie, and I said, hey, um, Bill and I can't both afford to go, but I, so we just decided I would go, and I'll get a plane ticket to go, and when are you going to go? And she goes, uh, well, we were sort of wanting to just, this be just us. And, and the minute she said it, I went, of course. Like, you've been a part? Of course. It made total sense. Did not hurt my feelings at all. But I was so grateful to her for telling me. Instead of going, telling David, you know, oh, your mom's coming. That's not what we wanted, you know. And I just so appreciate that open communication. Like, it was totally graceful. But she set a precedence for us. Okay, I want to transition a little bit again to the work part of life. You guys have given incredible wisdom on parenting, on marriage, on... Uh, in-law relationships, but you guys have had different seasons in work. And um, I would love for you to share some of the things you've learned in that tension. Somebody said to us years ago, you know, figure out how to be your partner's best PR person. And so I feel like I was asking Bill on the way here, I was like, did I do that well for you in all those years when I was like at home changing diapers and making brownies for meetings and feeling like I wasn't doing anything important, which is how I felt a lot. And he's like, yeah, you did. So we've learning to cheer for each other has been important. Let's start with the current, you know, because for the last three years, Kitty's started and run this nonprofit, which has gone just amazingly well, changed the dynamic of our home. Hmm. Um, And also uh, I've realized that I've consciously had to keep telling myself, this is worth it because sometimes I'm going, uh, this is a little bit too much, you know, but it, it really is worth it. And, and that's, that's been good. But I like the description we came up with. Uh, what my, my role has become just that of a cheerleader for her because uh, we describe it as that she's like on the uh, mechanical bull and it's going all different directions. <laughs> she's riding. Like, hey, stay on a the few visual more. of that's very funny. <laughs> a few more, you know, I'm going to set the record, keep going, you know. But uh, so moving to a cheerleader role has been, a fun thing, a good thing, sometimes a challenging thing, uh, but it's been well worth that. So, um, Bill is also, he's the Sabbath enforcer in our relationship, which is good. He helps me figure out balance early on. That w- I, I'm, I've always kind of revved, my motor revs high, and I'm, um, I grew up in a home where my dad was uh, in the corporate world, and, and until I was about high school, he was... He was the classic workaholic. I didn't even know him that well. And then he sort of had that midlife, 
like come to Jesus moment and some of that changed. Then years later, we discovered that the workaholic in the family is me. Another wise person told us years ago, you know, try to figure out how to um, become an expert in what refreshes your spouse. So like learn to do those things. And as we have gotten older, the things that refresh us have kind of met in the middle a little bit, but I would try to get Bill to do things that I thought were refreshing and fun, but he was like, that, that was that's not like work re- yeah. for me. Why would I do that? You know? So that's been helpful. Our last question for you is, <laughs> is it possible for both of you to be living out your purpose and work to stay in love and raise a family? Yes, we've, we've done it and are doing it. But it takes work. I mean, communication. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's seasons of, of, the, of capacity change, right? Like, and, and everybody is different. So your capacity to do certain things. And I think probably the best litmus test is if, I mean, there are obviously seasons where your kids or your marriage take a hit because of, something you're doing, but then I think it's time to, like, adjust. I think that the um, part of this, too, is we, th- we think it's possible for both of us to pursue our purpose when it's, when it's a little bit of a different purpose to the extreme if there's really good, healthy communication in the process. We feel like healthy synergy, healthy relationship, you can have synergy that enables you both to pursue as long as you remember that you're a team and not isolated from each other, that the team wins or the team loses, it's not one or the other, one person does. So, it's really good. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. What a treat. This is yeah, fun. Thanks. Now it's time for the breakdown. The breakdown. So I loved this interview. Um, I feel just honored because they have so many years and years on us. Mm-hmm. That You could tell. I mean, I have like a full page of notes yeah. from this. So what do you think? Um, one of the first things that I, I wanted to bring up um, is something that said, our boys need to experience reasonable amounts of pain. Yes. She also said along that, do you want... More than safety for your kids, which I think goes with that pain aspect, is that it's like that's the highest way, uh, the best way to learn, right? The biggest, I don't know. This is not agreed upon. This is not like people listening right now. I was like, this is a lot of people listening right now do not agree with this. They believe, and we've talked about this a ton, they believe that their greatest role as a parent is to keep your kids safe. Right. So this is paradigm shifting, right? Yeah, I think her question of do you want more than safety? I mean, do you want your child to be a brave child? Do you want them to be brave? Do you want them to be kind? Do you want them to, you know, go forth without you and without uh, thinking about, you know, concern of safety for all things, you know? This is so hard. It's so hard because you don't don't want... go. Yeah, you don't want your kids to be hurt. You don't. You don't want pain for anybody. Mm -hmm. But if I look back at my life, pain was my greatest teacher. Mm. So that was good. 
What about you? What stuck with you? Well, it's real because that's for real. Okay, I loved their um, talk about well, first, you know how different they are—the introvert, extrovert—and um, just I think it's a big struggle with people and how do you communicate with somebody that is so different from you and that process is so different from you. And I loved how Bill was just um, saying that ultimately, like he had to even just acknowledge the fact that he's thinking about it. Right. So if you, if you, if there is an introvert and an extrovert listening right now, maybe one thing that you could learn from this is to say, I heard you, I'm thinking about it. I'm processing what you said. Something like that gives the extroverted person confirmation maybe. Yeah. Or even affirmation a little bit that, that they're in this with them. Yeah. And I do love that they, that how they celebrate, that difference now mm. between them years later years, years and years that's later that's what yeah. they said i mean cuz i think you and i are probably in the acceptance phase of each other <laughs> in our marriage right of these differences that we're just finally like you accept me just as i am i do even though it's a bitch sometimes but yes i do love you I'm gl- and accept you wow thank you for that <laughs> it's hard sometimes i'll take that as an i'll take that but i accept you fully but I think it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to move to the celebration place mm. of celebrating those differences. Because right now it just sometimes feels like you're just constantly butting heads, you know? Yeah. In relation to time, um, Bill said, she has an aversion to margin and I have an addiction to margin. <laughs> I could see that being common in many couples. I mean, not that extreme maybe, but where one person is wanting to slow down and the other person is not. Yeah. Uh, in that same context, it's kind of like be an expert. Uh, they said become an expert on what refreshes your spouse. Oh, that was so good. So, you know, I, I'm sure for Kitty, refreshment is let's get all the family together and have fun, you know. And for Bill, it's like I'm sure it's let's be quiet and go for a walk, you know. So, but finding those things and that you know what best fills them up so Mm. this has been really good so good we could keep talking about it all day this has been another great episode with two great friends be quiet andre (laughs) this is another great episode with two great friends bill and kitty murray we're so thankful for them and the wisdom they brought to us again if there's something that really stuck with you which there are so many things we could talk about please share it through your social streams share it with your friends and um, comment at love or work on our instagram Thank you. Bye.